Welcome back to the EDM Podcast. This is a show where I, uh, Sam Matler, interview successful producers, engineers, industry experts, you name it, people who are doing cool stuff with electronic music. Today's episode is with Bonnie and Clyde. I'm sure you've heard of them. If you haven't, you're in for a treat. Uh, This is a vocalist and producer duo. Uh, They used to be based in Virginia, now live in LA, uh, and they make some amazing music. Uh, and they've blown up over the past few years and we talk all about that but if you haven't listened to the past episode or the one before this which is episode 66 with Oz I recommend listening to that first and the reason why is because uh, Austin in that episode talks about how to create an artistic vision or how he did it uh, and turn that into a reality and we talk about a similar thing in this episode Bonnie and Clyde talk about the fact that from the very beginning they kind of had this vision in mind, this uh, idea, this concept of what Bonnie and Clyde would be, what what they would stand for, what they their music would be like or sound like. And that's really interesting because a lot of people don't do that. They kind of just make music and they fall into things. They uh, come across their own style and they get picked up by a manager. Uh, but that's not the only way to do it. And in fact, I would argue that it's better to craft a vision, come up with a plan, figure out who you're going to be, what your image is going to be. So they talk a lot about that in this episode, which is really cool. Uh, we also talk about what are some of the mistakes that they made and some of the mistakes that other people make, uh, trying to do this thing, trying to build a career in music. They talk really honestly about what it takes uh, to be successful in this industry. They do not sugarcoat it. At the same time, they are not claiming that it's impossible. And there's one really, really, really important thing that Daniel talks about. The most important thing you need to be a successful electronic artist. Uh, We talk about that in the middle of the interview. So make sure you listen to at least the middle to hear what that is. If you enjoy the show, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. You can do that at edmprod.com forward slash iTunes. That is edmprod.com forward slash iTunes. Also, if you want to read the full show notes along with my takeaways for this episode, uh, head on over to edmprod.com forward slash 67. That is edmprod.com forward slash 67. This episode is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is my course for new producers, those who've been producing for under 12 months or even those who've just started. The whole idea of the EDM Foundations course is that you learn the fundamentals of music production by actually doing and not just learning the theoretical stuff. The course consists of over 12 hours worth of streamable video where I walk you through the creation of three songs and give you advice and tips for working on your own original alongside them. We've had over 500 people sign up for this course, many of them have had great results. If you want to learn more about the course head over to edmfoundations.com. Welcome back to the EDM podcast today. I'm joined by Bonnie and Clyde. How's it going? Hey. What's up, man? Appreciate you having us out. Of course. Thanks for coming on. Now, uh, a lot of people who listen to this show will know who you are. Uh, They may not know about how you got started, your background. So give us all the details there. How did you both get into music and how did you come together and, and form Bonnie and Clyde? So I basically grew up in a very musical family. My dad was in a band and I basically like throughout my whole life, I've always wanted to be a singer. And I kind of like was always pursuing singing. And uh, on his end, you want to say? For me, it was I started off entertaining at like bar mitzvahs, sweet 16s and weddings and stuff, not DJing, literally going there with a microphone and just like just to hype up the crowd and get them going, do little dance moves, that type of stuff. And that led into me seeing DJs and being like, oh, I like that. I should start doing that. I never knew about electronic music. I never knew about that stuff. I just got turntables, started practicing like nine months in. I was like, screw it. I'm going to throw my own party. Started renting out venues when I was like 16, 17 and throwing like under 20 and under parties uh, all through high school. And they were by far like, the best parties that happened on high, like during the time of high school. And how did you get into production from there? 
uh, production started when I went to Ithaca College for a year and a half before I transferred to University of Miami. Uh, a friend showed me, like, a friend was like, yo, Skrillex, Ableton, Ableton, Skrillex. And uh, I was like, man, it's my 20th birthday. I got to get Ableton. So on my 20th birthday, I got Ableton. And I just started. I didn't, I didn't really know much about, like, the whole festival thing or or that. I just like uh or wait, reverse. Uh it was that <laughs> when my when my friend showed me Skrillex and said Ableton and all this, they were also showing me videos of like Ultra and this and that and I had no no perspective of DJs like on this big of a scale. I thought DJs were just guys in clubs that like set the vibe down and did a service and whatever and I was fully prepared in my mind to to do that. But once I saw that, I was like, oh, my God, I got to start producing. I start making my own music. That semester I transferred to Miami. I was like, I'm getting out of here. I, I'm, I'm going full in towards this. And then, uh, well, so I went to Virginia Tech and throughout college, I was doing like all my music classes and everything. And then literally halfway through college, I went to Miami for an ultra. And I met up with him and uh he like basically was like, yo, like sh he just showed me what he was doing, like pr production wise and all this stuff. And that summer I ended up moving to Miami for the summer and like I fell in love with all of it, like the whole like scene, yeah. like just all that stuff. And um, I realized I didn't just want to be a singer anymore. I wanted to start like getting into that side of things. So then I all my senior year of college, we both were like literally every day Skyping each other back and forth. And he was teaching me like Ableton. We were making music and uh then when I graduated, we both were like, okay, like we need to start something. Like if we're really going to make this happen, we need to like, like we had a, a we, we had a project and we had a name and we played one show and we did the thing, but it, for me, it didn't feel right. And, uh, by the end of the college, I was like, yo, what's this brand that we're really going to like go with? Like, what's this thing that that's really gonna, really gonna resonate in, in something that we could, you know, bet our whole life on in a way. Yeah. Uh, so our last, the last month of college, we were looking at all these names. We were looking at the stuff like most badass duo of all time list, that type of stuff. Like, and the name Bonnie and Clyde was always there, always there. But I feel like we kind of brushed it aside initially. But well, it wasn't until like our like our sound that we started actually making together. With the what direction we wanted to take it, we were like, okay, like what's gonna really define that? And something that's we wanted something to be kind of like universally known, like. I don't know, every time that name, like, people, whether they really know it's us or they just, it just rings, you know what I mean? Because it's been already, like, people in the past, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Um, that sense of familiarity, and we really liked it, and honestly, it was just, like, I closed my eyes, and I pictured these two figures where I couldn't see them. It was more like a, a shadow, uh, what's it called? A silhouette. silhouette of these two figures, guy, female, giant Bonnie and Clyde up on the screen, you know, 10,000 people in the crowd, all the lights, all the screens. And I was like, you know what? Like, that seems realistic. This seems like a thing that could definitely happen. Mm. And that why can't we be the ones to make it happen is basically our thought. And then we were like, okay. Well, and then we realized, like, let's make it happen. Um, I don't know. There's just not really, like, in our, I don't know. I feel like our genre is like, not that there is a genre, but we're in a world where there aren't that many, like, guy girl duos. So it was kind of like, okay, like we could either pick like, like, I don't know. It was just, we wanted to pick a name that was going to stand out. It sounds like you were so uh, conscious of like what was a going to work and, and the vision that you had, which I feel isn't that common in the scene. Like a lot of people who, you know, become DJs or producers or, or make it somewhat big, like they kind of fall into it in a lot of cases or they just start making music and then, get there but it sounds like you two were from the start okay what are we going to be what is it going to look like do you think that helped in terms of reaching where you are today it was it was a sense of like reading the market reading reading the business reading the things okay what acts popped in the last two years why did those two acts pop why did those acts pop or in the last five years look at it on a 10-year scope what was popping then why well like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, Ultra 
to find who the biggest DJ was in the world. Mm. Whoever was main stage ultra, Paul Van Dyke, Paul Oakenfeld, whoever, these guys were the biggest DJs in the world. But now social media, all this stuff, like what makes the quote unquote best DJ or biggest DJs, the biggest DJs isn't the same. It's your media. It's how much you resonate. It's your associations. Your it's following your, yeah. I mean, you're following basically in a way, but it's not always about your following. Cause I know people that have a hundred, 200,000 followers and you know, they don't sell as many tickets as a guy that has five to 10,000 followers because it's more about being relevant. It's what are you doing for me today? What are you going to do for me tomorrow? Two questions there, because the first is, I think that's a great approach. A lot of people would say that's not genuine or it's kind of like selling out, which I disagree with. But how would you respond to that? Well, I think that like for because it's even like throughout this process been hard. Like when you I mean, any business process or anything like especially involving art when like you make something and you want it to be what that is so bad, like that only goes so far when you're working, like it, in reality, you're working in an industry that's not really about that. Like, especially, I mean, sadly, like just nowadays, like, you know, I mean, especially right now, Spotify is just killing it. And you gotta, you just gotta play the game a little bit. And I think that sometimes your art, like, it's not that it takes a back seat, but you can do it all. Like you can have those amazing songs and not, but you can also have those songs that you know are gonna like really resonate with people, but you still love them because you made them, you know? It's like, it's just a balance. Like I have a, we have a passion for music, but we also have a, a passion for having a successful DJ project. Do you think, do you think a lot of uh, younger producers, or not necessarily younger, but they have like a simplistic view of the music industry or um, maybe not a realistic view? I think, I think it's really, really hard to see what it really is if you don't have the right perspective because all, all the stuff that's happening on the back end, you don't know about it unless you have, you know, you're doing it on the back end or you know someone that's doing it or you hear about it. It's not like something that's necessarily publicly talked about as much or whatever, you know? Like I, Personally, I think nowadays uh, more than ever since so many people are able to like make music and uh, they see these lifestyles where it's like through social media, it's like glorified as like these like incredible things. So I feel like it's almost made our generation like kind of lazy because they're like, okay, I can do that too. But they're not like thinking really what it takes to do that. People people are, are fighting for that moment, that moment that they're on stage in front of 10,000, 20,000 people with right, all the fireworks. They're like, I want that moment. But they're not like, okay, what's what's the framework of this moment? What went into everything to create this moment? Mm. And if you can understand yeah. those various dynamics and then put yourself in a position to have those type of dynamics, like, you know, the right manager, the right agent, the right song on the right time and the right label, right platform, you know, all. Like, I'm all for, like, I love when everybody, like, like more so than ever, like, a lot of my friends are like, oh, my God, I'm picking up Ableton and I'm starting to do this, I'm starting to do that. Like, I love that shit, but it's like, as long as you're, like, genuinely, like, because that's what makes, like, a lot of businesses skewed is, like, these non-genuine people just trying to get in it because they see, like, their way of, like, how they can, I don't know, you know what I mean? It's like. It's wild, dude. And also, when you go back to that question you were asking about, like, sold out, whatever, that type of thing, that perception, like, I would say at the beginning of our project, we were struggling a lot trying to figure out, like, the, our brand voice. Mm-hmm. Basically, like, what, how we were going to project ourselves through social media. Like, we had a vision on the character, on the type of music, on the that type of stuff, but, like, our actual voice was kind of, like, took a little bit of time to figure out. And when at the, I would say the first couple of months of our project, I, want, I don't want to say it wasn't what we were doing in the sense of our posts weren't genuine. It was just we were trying to be something. We were trying to be what we thought Bonnie and Clyde should or had to be for us to be successful or whatever. But then, and it was doing okay, but the moment that we said, this doesn't feel right, this is way too difficult, it seemed, it seemed too difficult to be posting every day. It took us forever because we're like, what's this voice got to be? What's this? And then the moment we decided that what Bonnie and Clyde should be is us. Like Bonnie's her, I'm Clyde. Whatever, whoever we are is whatever's, it's, that's gonna define who Bonnie and Clyde are rather than trying to be something, just be ourselves. And the second that we started being who we are through our media and stopped trying to be what we thought we should be, it resonated so much harder. Our following went up way more. People were interacting way more, way more comments. Way, like just, you know, kids being like, yo, we really like you. And 
And that's like the, I feel like the key these days, like though there are going to be those guys always, always that are going to sell because their music is just phenomenal, just phenomenal music. There's always going to be those guys, but there are also those guys that you show up to their show because you like them. You're like, I fucking love Dylan Francis. Right. You know what I'm saying? I love Getter. No, I just like that, them. That's the biggest thing these days, too, is like literally relationships and like not just like like everybody wants through social media, like these millions of followers and stuff. It's like everybody wants to be your best friend. They like always want to act like they have some type of relationship with you. It's crazy, dude. Like, you know, so going back to what you say about the sold out thing, it's like what Bonnie and Clyde is, is us. So it's it's exact. I mean, what you, what you see is what you get and who we are is is what we are. So that's that's it. You answered the question that I was going to ask you, which was how do you be relevant on, or like how do you connect with people on social media? And it's that, like that is the answer, it seems. Because um, I know that a lot of producers struggle with that. If you go get booked on an event in your town, you go and you there's 10 promoters for the event and they post, 10 to, they post two times. Like we go on through every single post as much as we can, you know, so if we have 10 shows, seven social a week, it's and harder even like, and well, go interact with yeah. all those people, you know, go like, go comment, go. Cause they're they're Those are the people that are actually going to be there. Those are the people that are actually going to see you. We reach out. Like we go kind of out of our way to like reach out to these people that are where we're going so that we can like start a party with them. <laughs> so they're already hyped before so we even right. walk through the door. You know what I mean? They know about the show, but then all of a sudden we interact with them and then they see the rest of our, they see the story to that point. And then they're, I feel like, you know, they're interested, but there's also something to be said about, you know, when you're doing these type of techniques where you're going out interacting people, like you have to have content that is interesting and that when people go back and look at your page, that they're gonna be like, oh, this is cool. I wanna continue to see what else these people are doing or making or whatever, you know what I mean? Rather than just having a profile at zero, no pictures, nothing posted, like what, you go interact with someone, someone sees, oh, this profile interacted with me goes and looks back there's nothing there it's it's the thoughts gone, gone and gone you know what i mean so there's there's a timing aspect to in relation to where you're at in your progression of your project if that makes sense yeah 100 percent. because you can't just you can't just post a song every day you know you can't just post the same release for 30 days on facebook what are some of the things you'd post um in between like releases or tour announcements or whatever to keep people engaged. Aside from like when we do tour and we, we post our like photos with crowds and stuff, we really like to post like lifestyle photos or photos that even, or even like videos. We try, we started this vlog that we're gonna continue. It's basically just like some of our favorite moments on tour or like we visit somewhere really cool and uh, we think the biggest thing that like really attracts people nowadays is humor. So we're trying to like kind of like use use our funny what what would be our funny sides and like you know um, I don't know we we'll get creative with it. But we just recently moved to a new place, so we're super excited to like start doing all that again. Yeah, I, w- I would say in between the best things are live hype. I mean, it's 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 hard to do this unless you have the big rooms to be able to get this quality of content but like live videos of really hype moments or really, really like moments that make you give you chills or make you smile or like if you post something on Facebook or on any of your social media and you don't have a reaction out of it, how do you expect anybody else to have a reaction? Like if you post a, uh, if you post a like a, like a video from your show in wherever and you're like, yo, uh, Los Angeles was sick. You know what I mean? It's just this picture and then, for if I saw that picture, I'd be like, okay, it's cool. Unless I'm like a really big fan or like I just love them so much, I might comment other than that. But nothing about that post, in my opinion, is uh, invoking. That's what you want to invoke emotion. You want to invoke comment. You want to invoke a response because that's ultimately going to lead to a more following and also a better algorithm because the more people that are uh, commenting and liking your stuff quicker, so the more reach that, that you get. Said. Ultimately, something maybe like ta- tag your partner in crime, like you know, d- diss my PIC, who your PIC, you know, who's your partner in crime, that type of that type of thing. Just like anything that'll get people going or doing like various giveaways are good, free content, exclusive content. Like you get people's personal emails and you send them like maybe like 
an acoustic version that, and then all of a sudden you only sent a hundred or a thousand people this one version of a song and they only have it. Like these special things. And honestly, we could be experimenting more with this stuff. And, and, uh, but I, I definitely said it's the biggest thing. Like when you look at a post and you're thinking about posting something, if there's not, if you, it's not evoking anything out of you, you probably shouldn't post it and find a post that makes you feel something. Whether it makes you feel sad, happy, anything. As long as it make, it brings something out of you, it'll bring something out of something else, somebody else, and ultimately that'll help your media. Long story, you know, short. I like that a lot. Uh, I want to get to the production stuff, but before I do that, you've got this vision, um, this idea, this this image. What were some misconceptions you had about, say, the music industry or life as an artist? Um, I, yeah, how were you challenged in that way? Um, personally, I, I had always, I guess, seen Hollywood and the whole entertainment industry as like this bubble that was really hard to get into. So for a while, I actually, before I learned how to like DJ and produce and stuff, I was like auditioning for a lot of like the voice and like all of these like vocal competition things. I don't know. It wasn't until like I finally just started like understanding the other side of music aside from just being a vocalist. When I was like, wow, like, and then when I saw EDM and what that whole thing was, I don't really like to say EDM, but it kind of does describe the electronic scene. But like, um, you know, like there, I realized there were other ways for me to just, than just singing in front of a big crowd. Like I could just have like this whole experience with visuals and you know, every everybody's dancing. It's like one big party. Like I saw that whole thing is like, wow, like this is awesome. And once I got involved with all of that, started seeing the industry more in a different light because I like understood the way things worked. Like the biggest, the biggest misconception for me was it's not just about making sitting in your room and making music all day. That's just one facet. That's one one medium in which you can express. You you gotta right. you gotta look at yourself as like like a media composer, like a media producer, not just a music producer. You're an experienced producer. You in the sense. Yeah, I mean, when you're yeah. when you're like at a show, like you're not sitting there making music, you're over there performing, like spending time focusing on your performing techniques and that type of stuff is relevant. Spending time practicing posting, like you can do a million selfie funny videos and you can just delete them right after, but like that's a skill. That's a skill, I swear to God, like we, I, compared to where I was six months ago to where I am now in the sense of how easy I can just go up and record myself and say some stupid shit, like it definitely takes practice. And uh, the other biggest misconception, you know, I feel like kids, some kids, like there are, there are a lot of hungry kids out there that are going out and getting it. But there are a lot of other kids that I hear that are like, don't worry, man, I'm just going to sit and I'm going to make music and I'll put it out and eventually someone will find me and I'll get picked up and this, that and the other. And it's not like that. It's, that's, it happens. It's rare, though. It's, it's, it's you need to go and put yourself in the room with the people <coughs> make a friendship, make a connection. I think for some people they need to understand that it, it is attainable, but like it takes work. Like there are, like you actually have to take do what you need to do to get. Like off go, of, we're go, talking about off of Ableton. Like, like going through the steps. You gotta work hard, you gotta get great at music, you have to have great music. No, right. But yeah, I'm just, No, I'm saying it's not, like not unattainable though. Like a lot of people act like, oh my God, like it's such a far away thing. There are, though there are a handful of 10 million whatever DJs there are a lot of guys that are just touring DJs going around oh, the country. Yeah. They make 50 to 100, $150,000 a year. And they, that's what they do. They make music and do it. So like, like it's, it's totally possible. Like just if you keep doing it and you like be a good person, that's a huge part. Like not, not leading with your ego, not, not being like, yo, this is my booth. This is, you know, and really focusing on yourself that. is really important. A lot of people are always so focused on what everybody else is doing that they like, only start making shit because that person's doing that. Like if you do your own thing, like you're most likely gonna be in your own lane. Like, yeah, don't don't get lost in the sauce. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I like that. Um, what if if you could boil it down to just one thing? What do you think is the most important thing uh, to be a successful music producer, artist, duo, whatever it may be? Hands down, the most important thing to be a successful electronic music DJ is, drum roll, <laughs> filling up your dance floor, selling those tickets. If you're not selling tickets, 
you will not get booked. You to an extent you will. If you're like, if you're like you got signed to Matt Decent, you're Diplo's guy, you're, you know, Skrillex's guy, you're gonna get some bookings, you're gonna do the thing, you're gonna get on their tour, you're gonna do the thing. But when you play that headline hard ticket show for a thousand people and then you sell fifty tickets, you're you're done. Your booking your booking fee is gonna stay the same, you're gonna be stuck. Every single thing that you're doing, your music, your branding, your posts, your videos, your whatever, all that in your mind should be, why am I doing this? I'm doing this so that I can sell tickets. It may sound not shallow to like make money or whatever, but it's not even a, like, for me, it's not even about that. Like it's, it's, it's about keeping this experience going. It's about keeping the journey going. It's keeping the rise. You've got to keep building. Like, and at that moment that, you're sh- that you know people don't show up and then all the talent bookers and all the industry realize oh man you know they're, they're not showing up anymore they never or they never showed up or whatever anything like that like you just gotta get it, it gets stuck and you could get uh not lost just like on a plateau that makes sense but if you if you do it from the beginning if you're like i'm here and i'm gonna fill up rooms that's what i'm gonna do and, and you act accordingly for that goal uh, I feel like you uh, ultimately would will be very successful. I like that because it puts like a tangible metric or like um, it gives you the way a way to track things. Because a lot of people just say, I want to be a successful artist, but they don't know what that looks like or they don't know how to quantify that. But if you just say ticket sales, which is it, which makes sense. Um, I think that helps a lot. Do you see, on that note, do you see other artists around you, maybe not acquaintances, but just in the industry get complacent when they get to a certain level of like fame or they're selling good tickets and they get complacent and they kind of fall off. The guys that are crushing it and over here making 20, you know, 10 to $50,000 when they walk through the door, there there might be some sense of that. But like those guys ultimately pro- got there probably because they're really talented and they're really good at what they do. So, I mean, they're ultimately going to sustain their art and keep, you know, keep having songs and that type of stuff. Like, you know, there are some guys you can tell. I'm, I'm never going to say any names, but like you can tell like their music's not exactly what, what it was. You could tell like when shit was uh, when shit was on the come up, you know, they were a little bit more hungry. You can almost hear the effort in a way. And I'm cool with that. Like, I, it's it, it's OK. Like, I get it, man. These guys are touring all the time and they're doing their thing and, and they're trying to, to keep their thing going. So I can't I can't hate but and then there's other guys that just stay stay hungry. They just like all the way, all the way, and then all of a sudden they're at the top or you know on their way to the top. And but, yeah, there's some people that are just consistently doing it. Yeah, just great. What's the What's the difference? What's the difference between those people? Not much, man. If you can keep, uh, if de- you, I think if, it depends like how much they care about certain situations and stuff. Like yeah. sometimes they'll show up to one place and not give, not care at all, or like. Just depends where, where I, I would say you could tell life. like when like when when you see a DJ that's kind of like played you know it not burnt out but when he's playing a show you know you you don't feel the the passion or the energy within them as much they're kind of just like playing or just kind of like you know my next track my next track my next or like track. they're going with emotions like they're so used to it, it's like just the same old you know the emotions just kind of like autopilot vibes versus yeah. like going out there really performing and and taking you know, giving it, it your all each taking time, the like, room over it up, like and it. you know being the puppet Making master it fresh, of the room, so basically. you can like keep doing your job. <laughs> yeah, but there are, there are guys like you know their names just already big enough that no matter what they'll just get booked. They'll keep selling tickets because that's the thing. Those people that you think got lazy or whatever, or their music's not as good as it was, it doesn't matter because they're still selling tickets. They're still filling up rooms, and yeah. the talent buyers, promoters, agents, managers are all still making money off them. One more question before we get into the production stuff. What are some difficult aspects of being a duo? Because I know that a lot of people listening to this might be in a position where they're either in a duo or they're thinking about forming one uh, or they're like, I don't want to do that. That sounds like a nightmare working with someone else. I mean, what are what are some of the difficult aspects for, for you two? The difficult aspects? I mean, it it's all I would say it's kind of in the moment like if she wants this sound and I'm trying to get this sound or we can't agree on a sound like that type of stuff is when it's difficult or like it's like what kind of sound do you want to make right now let's make this BPM and I'm like no I want to make this BPM you know that type of stuff but ultimately I think that 
the reason why people do get into duos is because your skills complement each other. Where you're weak, they're strong, and vice versa. Yeah, um, I think it's also, I mean, people are, we want human interaction. And, like, when there's two people up on stage, like, it only gives more reason for people to interact with somebody. Like, if he's, if I'm DJing and he can go out into the crowd, or he's DJing, I can go out in the crowd and sing and whatever. It's like, it, it allows, we have each other's back, you know? It's like, we're a team. And teams, I think, I, uh, to a certain extent, like, sometimes two can be better than one because you can do, like, there's two more minds going into it. And, um, yeah, you're always going to have disagreements, like any team or any two different people. But you work through them and you come to agreements. And uh, You just, you, you let the goal. The goal. You don't let the, you let the goal keep your, you clear. Like, the goal is, is to make this successful. So, like, all the other shit doesn't matter. It's all small. It's all just, like, little stuff that's on the journey and whatever, this, that. You know, put the, put the rock here, put the rock there, whatever. Eventually, we're we're about way past that rock. What advice would you give to other vocal slash producer duos specifically? Uh, I think that it's important to have your own creative space and your own creative time. I think before, um, like it's always great to work on everything like together, but at the same time, like you need to have your own mind be a part of your creativeness because sometimes it's hard when you have two people like being creative together is even harder and uh, I think it's important just to go away for a little bit and come back together and share your ideas something like that more than uh, just always working together it's not always so important to work together you know um, I think that's important I think that understanding your duties is really big because there are things that yes you can learn from the other person but naturally some one's going to be better than you at some things and that's just how life works and understanding who's better at what and like using that as your advantage to get you where you need to be from a from a performance perspective i would say uh moving in synchronization oh yeah clapping at the same time you know you know kind of on the same yeah. same same wavelength cuz i swear to god like imagine trying to jump up and down and you're in the crowd and you see two people going like this <laughs> but it also comes it's, it's kind of confusing it you know? comes with time though like I feel I think that it's important for people like not to give up too soon when the beginning is rough because the beginning will always be rough <laughs> you're never gonna like hop on stage and be like super in sync with somebody but it takes time to really understand each other's flow and like you know like work through it and you'll like, definitely get like there. times times were hard at the beginning of this project we, <laughs> we worked uh, we DJed on the weekend you know made $500 a gig like for you know eight ten weeks in a row to just pay rent and we lived in uh, a small one room in this we house in, in the like hood the where people would come up on the back porch with guns and rob our friends and stuff and now and now we live in a five bedroom mansion in Hollywood you know with a pool like I don't say that to like to to gloat it's literally like you know we we did it out of a this small little bedroom in the hood. And and brought out here like if we could do it, you could do it. It's like, it's just yeah. It's just a little bit of strategy, a little a little bit of uh, but it really, really it really came with goals. believing believing yeah. in in the goal, believing in that in that and way down the path. And working towards it, you know, like there's actually like I used to do this in high school all the time where I'd like set a goal and then like poo poo it or whatever. But if you don't work towards the goal, you're not gonna get there. It'll just be a dream. You but know? yeah, it's not like. But the difference between I don't know, you can believe in dreams, but like I feel like the thing that kept always kept us moving forward was that we believed like we we just knew it we like yeah. this is gonna work this is gonna work and yeah. and even if all the odds are stacked against you like you can manifest your your reality you can speak things into existence you can just you can say it you can do it and then it is and then and that's basically what this is wow um i love that i, I know a lot of people though they they can't even get to that first point of like i believe i can do this like some people just don't believe they can. Right. No, and I, I think that's it. that's important that for people to understand that, like, it is attainable with the hard work. Like, it's not something that's, like, like when I was younger, even, like, I like to, like, relate it to, I don't know, just when I was younger, I used to think that Hollywood was this bubble that you it was completely unattainable. Like, what I watched on yeah. TV was, like, oh, my God, these, like, weird people, like, 
but they're regular people with regular lives that have the same weird issues that everybody else does. It's just like, yeah. uh, it's just the work that gets you there. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And not even necessarily important to get there, but you know, like whatever making it is in your mind, like. Well, there's micro, there's micro goals, macro goal and micro goal. The macro goal was, okay, we want to be uh, international touring DJ, sustainable, you know, that type of, that type of thing. Yeah. But in, the, in when we first started, the first, okay, let's make a song. Let's get it supported by some blogs. Right. And then after that, it's like, okay, here's our second song. We got some blogs supporting it already. Let's get pick up a manager. And then once you get the manager, the manager, then you, <laughs> then everything changes because you have another person involved being like, this is this maybe how you should do it. This is how you should navigate. And But ultimately, the goal after the manager is the agent. But some people do it backwards. Some people get their agent first and get management later or don't have a manager. Yeah, it just depends. It's just really up, up to your too. your journey, your story, your whole thing. But it's it is a it's a process. Like you then you get your agent and then And then once you have your agent, you're like, okay, you have to build in these markets. And then once you build in these markets, these people run the festivals in those markets. But you have to kill and sell in those markets first before they you know, and then once you're there, it's like, okay, What's up in you know Asia? What's up here? What's up there? Okay, we're going from three hundred person venues to five hundred person venues. Then we're going to right. thousand person venues. It's like this whole like. If you you have to like really just like enjoy the process because if you think in your mind like you can't rush it, then that's how people fall off is because they're like, oh my god, I'm not there yet. It stresses them out and like they can't. You just gotta like really go with the flow of the process, <laughs> the phases. Because there are many phases. Yeah, doing things premature, like playing too big of a uh, booking premature or playing in too big of a room or, I don't know, like releasing on too big of a label too soon or releasing that collab with Skrillex at the wrong time. You know what I mean? That type of stuff. Like, they're, they're you know, what do you mean? No, I mean, like, say you release a song with Skrillex and then you don't have any more songs made. No, I, I feel You feel like what I'm saying? Like, that type of scenario. There, there is like, something there's a time like... The, there's only so many that they, I don't know, there's something that said, that said, like, there's only so much room in the spotlight and for only a certain amount of time. Like, you notice, like, unless you're, like, a real super, super star who, like, is with a, like, label consistently being able to, like, shell out work every week, like, Rihanna or, like, something like that, like, it, you're not going to be in the spotlight 24-7. So it's, like, when, what's your time? When is your time going to be? Like, are you prepared for your time? I I also to go on that I I don't think that the EDM thing is much of a competition. It's not us versus Tiesto. It's not us versus yeah. Jaws. It's not even like that. It's literally about the market that you can create for yourself. Your light is as big as you make it on yourself. It's about keeping those people and building the next people. Right. Yeah. It's not like a it's it's not a zero sum game. It's not like if one artist rises, another one has to fall. Exactly. Right. It's not like that at all. Right. There, There's a lot of DJ slots all over the world for people to play. Ultimately, I mean, there's the agents and the talent buyers and all that next stuff that's in the back end getting these people these slots and stuff. But as far as your social media is concerned, like it's you versus the world. It's you versus the yeah. internet. So I want to switch gears now. Tell us about your creative process. What goes into making a song? What does it look like from start to finish? Uh, I'm super curious. I know other people are too. For me, like we have different ways creatively. Um, I, a lot of the time, a lot of my stuff starts from when I'm driving in the car or when I'm in my shower and I think of an idea and I immediately have to put it into my voice memos on my phone. My voice memos on my phone is like my diary has like every song, like everywhere I go, I, I sing into it. And, um, then I just, you know, as soon as I can get back to my Ableton computer and put it in and uh, start plugging in, I really start building around my vocal. That's one way, though, because a lot of other times I just hop on my computer and put in chords or, um, I don't know, find a really cool synth or, you know, start it in some way. And then I start composing it out. And uh, so it really starts like that for me. And then when Daniel and I get together, it kind of, we decide where it's going to start, whether it's us making chords or, you know, just start, just going in on the mic and coming up with some melody on the mic. It just depends. It really starts all over the place. Um, so you're asking where it starts. Where it starts creatively. Uh, it all starts from a point of inspiration. There's a right. point of realness in every song, like a point where it's like, I felt something. Same kind of thing, like when you post and you need to feel something, right. same thing. Like when you make put that chord down or you have that idea, 
it's like oh that that makes me feel that's that's like that's something cool like and i would say every single song that we've actually put out has been based on some sort of you know point and the point doesn't always happen at the at the beginning like i could have what like for rise above which was one of our biggest songs like we it was like some some little thing piano thing that she made real quick and then pulled it out it's like oh this is cool and then kept producing on it for like a week i think because we were now nowhere near as quick so it took us a lot longer to yeah back then back then like two years ago whatever that point where actually the rise above where the inspiration actually came in was i guess we were you know we were living in the hood at that time and i just left her in the room uh to like the beat to try to like uh you know record some vocals or find the top line and she comes up with like you know we rise and then we fall but that won't break me and like that was basically i feel like drawn out of our current scenario like you know times are tough songs are based off of um either current scenarios or like random blurts of inspiration or um an idea a lot of it is our our day-to-day life shit (laughs) um yeah or like the way i feel about a certain situation at the time so it's like a bit it's a it's a bit of realness like real motion mixed with you know electronic music production technique yeah. <laughs> Basically, you know, big tension, good release. Yeah, how do we want it to make us move on? Make yeah, ha- move that's on the, the biggest floor. thing. That is probably when we first sit down and we're like, what are the drums going to look like? What's the speed going to be like? like? What do we want? The, what do we, how do we want them How to do we want them to move? Yeah. How are they going to move? How are, how's the crowd going to dance to this song? Which is crazy because, um, I mean, a lot of the time, like, I'm just thinking that on a regular basis. Like, we both are, like, really, like, just whenever I'm trying to find inspiration or anything, I'm looking for that. I'm like, okay, what's gonna be that next thing for us? And uh, for for the new producers and stuff out there, just to just to clarify, if you want a twerky kind of feeling beat, we're kind of at 96 BPM, 100 BPM. That's also like Moomba, you know, a little faster Moomba. And then you do kind of like a straight jump or like a shuffle. That's like a 122, 128, 130 type of vibe. And then you're looking for like a floaty esque kind of thing you're talking about 140 and even like trap arms 140 you know to 150 160 dubstep 160 like head bang speed you know just a like where do we how do we want them to move and then i would say that bpm directly correlates with how people move yeah there are some various movements within certain speeds like if you're at this speed you could move like this or like this depending if you're on full time or half time uh full time straight half time with a snare just for newer newer people uh and uh we just be, being aware of that is crucial yeah no that's 100 percent for sure do you uh do you encounter creative block as a duo like writer's block oh my god all the time you're that the biggest thing i like like to talk about with people creatively is like your ideas and how creative you are comes in waves like you're not always gonna be writing like the best shit ever like a lot of the time like I get my best inspiration at the weirdest moments. Like I'll literally be just like, I mean, it's just crazy. It's just, you can get inspired by anything and uh, it all comes in waves. So like there are definite times. I think the biggest writer's block times are when you're like really trying to write something amazing and you're like forcing it almost. You're like, I gotta write something amazing. And then you're like, oh, this has to be amazing. And, And most of the time it's like, the shit where you're not even thinking about it and it just came and it flew, it flowed very nice and it, it took, it was quick. But that being said, like you still need to work on it. So like, you know, whether it's studying or just writing in general, brainstorming, getting all of your words out, like you still should really work on it because it is something that is like the more you do it, I feel like the better you'll get at writing. Like think um, about, think about it like a, like a, a ball of clay and you're, you're sculpting a, a human, human looking like a human, right? And, you know, it, t- it doesn't take you that long to get to the thing. You know, you can make the legs, you make the arms, you make the necks, you make the head real quick. Okay, cool, that took you a minute. And you're like, damn, this is, almost, this is a thing. But you still have to take the time to go in and draw the face 
and you know do that shirt but in relative to songs you still got to go to time make sure that your songs make sense the verse maybe the melody change it up you know like uh right music so music is so universal music can be defined as anything to anybody so it's like to make it of quality to like really be you know heavily paid for it it's uh it's a process like anybody can like sit there and you know tap and write some shit but it's like how of quality is it how executing it at a level of quality that's how much are people really at, gonna... at the standard of the industry if not sure. higher i like that thanks so much for your time i've got one more question uh, before you go what three pieces of advice would you give to people listening to this show if you have a kick and an 808 the easiest way to make it super clean is just volume fade the front of the 808 yes. mad people side chain or use LFO tools or volume shaper and all this stuff. I swear to God, nothing makes it as clean as just volume fade. And in general, going with that first point, 50% of all your problems, rather than putting a ton of shit on something to make it sound louder or whatever, just volume, turn down the volume, turn up the volume, like volume. Volume's your best friend. It's your best friend. Yeah. So like, uh, use it because you got a lot of space. People think they got everything's got to be at zero. Everything's got to be at zero. It's not even like that. Like I, I sometimes work on tracks where my highest element is at negative ten or negative six or whatever, and I'm working kind of in in this lower realm just so I don't have to worry about that. And then eventually, you know, at the end of the song, you can literally go highlight all of them, all the tracks, and just turn it up six, and then you're good. You're at zero, quote unquote. If that's what you're trying to be, it's subjective, but whatever it is that you do and want to do. So that's I one. think uh, another one is just Two. focusing on yourself and like really like understanding what is relevant and what's popular, but then like taking it back to your own ideas and like don't really like look to everybody to reference everything. Like it's cool what other people do, but if you just come out with a song that's just like them, you're just going to be coming out with a song that's just like them and it's not really going to show off what you are. And uh, I think just focusing on yourself is so big. Uh, and then three, I would say now more than ever, songs are winning. It's in, in the sense of, you know, hard drops. There was a time of the big room drop. The big room drop was the thing that won, you know? And I feel like writing like songs, like lyrics, feeling like content that makes you feel like, like, trust me, I love a banger. I love a trap banger more than the next person and that person. But right now, the market is not SoundCloud. That was the SoundCloud way of thinking. Bangers. Mm. Like, it's a streamer's world now. And people stream while they're chilling. People stream in the office. People stream in this. I'm not saying you don't have, you can stop making bangers. I'm just saying be aware that, like, all the talent buyers, all the bookers, everybody's looking at how many, you know, followers you have on Spotify and how many monthly listeners you have and how well your re latest release is doing. And, that, you know, we all know that there's a certain style or type of track or like a certain like listenability, if that makes sense, of track that that resonates better on Spotify compared to like, I just made this crazy dubstep song that, you know, I, I love that shit. Don't get it twisted, man. I love all that stuff. I play, we play super hard music during our stuff, but in the sense of like, selling number one thing selling tickets selling tickets and like selling uh, you know a good way to sell tickets and reach people is via spotify and a lot of people are on spotify and if they're able to listen to your song 40 times a day on repeat and and it's not like something they're like oh this is a little loud for this moment this is a little hard right now i mean i ulti ultimately at least the way we're thinking about it and approaching it is that's that's a win that's how you're going to win, at least right now. I'm not saying, like, make your bangers. Like, I love bangers. But, like, you know, diversify. Try to make a song. Try to sing on your song. Bring a vocalist on your song. Bring a bring a concept onto your song that's going to make people relate and want to turn it on because it makes them feel. You know, bangers do make me feel. Melodies make me feel. And, like, you know, cool. You know, like, that whole anthemic melodies and that stuff. Like, I love that stuff. But, like, it's like a time and place. People are at festivals 2%, 1% of their time, and people are on Spotify 99% of the time. Yeah, it's a good way to think about it. And what have you guys got coming up over the next six months? 
Yeah. Uh, we have a uh, new song coming out soon. Um, we have this. We're actually about to release. Well, sooner than the new song, we're putting out our remix EP from our last EP. We released an EP on Interscope and Insomniac Records. It's called The Wanted EP. Go check it out. Buy it on iTunes, you know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, So we're, we're releasing all the remixes for that. And uh, 11 dope remixes. 11. Oh, we're going to be going to Thailand soon for the first time, which we're really excited about playing in Thailand. Uh, we have, uh, we did a full remake. She re-sang and we reproduced in our own way uh, Adventure Club and Yuna Gold. So that's coming out as soon as the label yeah. gets back to us, which should be soon. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, we're going to be going on tour January. Yeah, we're all over the United States in the fall. Or the fall, end of the fall. In the fall. And uh, starting January, we're doing like a hard ticket tour. It's like 20 shows, something like that. Potentially internationally. Yeah, and then, uh, I mean, there's lots of talks about Asia and Australia. And, you know, you you should hit up the people in Auckland, you know, hook up up that vibe. (laughs) Stop by on the way through. But yeah, man, just lots of new music. Like we did the EP and we thought that would be a really good way because we had the opportunity of releasing it on Interscope and with Insomniac and stuff. But uh, our game right now, I'd say for the next 16 months would be just singles. Like we're trying to find, like have some big singles that just, you know, resonate really well, maintain our media, keep playing shows, keep growing. And at some point, probably in, you know, 2020 or something like that, we do like a full length album. 